Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, as they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at gofuckyourself forward slash cockgoblin that's cock spelt with a K and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit Seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you. The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode, past episodes, including the occasional bonus episode that I do, and some other golden magic. I also have small playlists of the great lesser-known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Thank you so much for listening. This is part two of Arrested, which was out a couple of weeks ago. And thanks to any new listeners who checked out the Charlie Watts Rolling Stones episode. Obviously, Charlie Watts was worthy of taking a week off between part one and part two of our dig in the rabbit hole of artists I love who have been arrested. If you haven't heard part one, check it out. There's some good stories and good songs in there and all the usual fun but useless information. It's so much better for my brain to read up on chart stats or album sales stats than COVID cases or vaccination rates. So I hope this next hour or so is a bit of an escape for you too. Not you too, the band. I mean, you as well. You know what I mean. And I quickly want to thank a few people. Ross Hetherington, Tanya Trenaman, Glenn Howard, Jessie from Chessie and her owner and custom rollerblade builder Luke Plummer and also Brett Wood. I also dropped a midweek bonus episode of Prison Songs. So check that shit out too. We've got a few nice reviews this week which helped the podcast chart pretty high in New Zealand and Australia and also some shittier but appreciated lower chart numbers in the US, England, Canada, Ireland and Singapore. And some numbers in Norway too. Hello. 
thanks to Wannabe Bass Player, Disco8511, Loza, and Milka1, which I think is David Flint, who is the assistant manager at the Whitfield Reject Shop. Thanks, guys. The reviews really do help. So anyway, let's, let's get into it. I think I mentioned in part one that I have only added songs or artists that I love in all of the episodes, but I'll break from that later in this episode and add a band that I actually haven't heard any music from, but just want to add their story because it's pretty fucked. Most of part one's stories are all pretty trivial arrests. We'll step it up a little bit this week, and here goes. Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols was arrested in 1976 for throwing a glass at the dam's David Vanian, who I think I missed in episode eight and nine's name changes to as he was born David Lett. But anyway, the glass missed him, hit a pillar and smashed and partially blinded a girl. He was also arrested infamously in October 1978 for murder and also in December 1979 for assaulting Patti Smith's brother Todd while on bail. Johnny Rotten later praised Mick Jagger for paying the $50,000 bail on his last arrest, but Mick never made it public. Here's Johnny Rotten talking about Sid. Well, he, he wasn't the brightest spark on the planet, Sid. He was my friend, and, uh, and I miss him very much, I've got to tell you. But, and I felt really guilty about bringing him into the pistols because he, he was ill-equipped mentally to deal with the pressures and, uh, and he was prone to fall into the drug culture very quickly because his mother was a registered heroin addict and, you know, and there'd been situations before the pistols when I'd seen her give him a, a birthday present of a bag of heroin. I did not like this. And you, you've always said, no, I'll never be like that. But from the first moment he joined the band, he became very much like that. The trouble with heroin as a drug, what it does is it it hides the inadequacies and self-doubts you have. And Sydney had a lot of them. But what he didn't understand was we all had them too. But we had already been at it for a you know, nearly a year here. And so we were better prepared. And uh, he just wouldn't listen. He just would not listen. He took that easy way out. And the result always with that is going to be a tragic death, a loss. The situation he got in became a, a very low-rent melodrama. Remind us of that situation. Remind us what happened around that Girlfriend time. Girlfriend stabbed. Mystery as to who did sit in jail. Uh, gets out, meets his mum and dies of an overdose. I mean, how strange. What a series of coincidences. How often did you and, see And him? all manner of intrigue, I've got to tell you, around that mm. time of people like saying, uh, oh, it was a, a drug gang murder and, and whatever it is. You know how people love to add a mystery to what, what is basic, like the common sense of this is, he created the situation himself and he willingly walked into it and thought he could handle it. But really, secretly, deep down inside, I think he knew he couldn't. How often did you see him at that time? Very little. It was just maybe the odd phone call and, um, and then there'd be a resentment from him because he, he didn't want to hear what I had to say. So almost from the moment you introduced him to the band, you, you saw that... Yeah. spiral happening and that's oh, why yeah. you describe yeah, it as yeah, a bit yeah. of guilt all the hangers on you know the cottage industry of liggers that you get being in a band zoomed in on him and told him how wonderful he is and all of this and he he just totally got sucked up into it i'll tell you fame is a it's a, it's a monster 
a monster, and none of us were given any warning or help. You know, it's, it's, it's lucky that we survived ourselves. Days in the Sun was the Sex Pistols' fourth single and was released in October 1977 and made it to number eight in the UK. And it was actually the last Sex Pistols single released with Johnny Lydon as a singer. Sid Vicious released two songs under the name Sex Pistols and the band also released a song called No One Is Innocent in June 1978, but John and Sid had already left the band. And famous train robber Ronnie Biggs sang the song. This man is Ronald Biggs. He once fronted the Sex Pistols. It now looks like we're going to lose the rising rock star. For the next 28 years, he might be in prison. In 1963, Ronald Biggs and 14 others robbed this mail train in England of $7.5 million. The British police caught the robbers, but recovered only $800,000. After serving 15 months of a 30-year sentence, Biggs climbed the wall of his London prison and fled to Paris, then to Australia, and finally to Brazil. There he found safety and a girlfriend who gave him a son. If a criminal in Brazil fathers a child, he can't be extradited. And Biggs, by then a folk hero in England, was delighted. Um, my life is sort of complete, really. I, I, I don't want to return to prison because I say there's no point in me going back to prison. And I would like to be able to sort of just live and, and, and end my life here in Brazil. Then a team of former British commandos kidnapped Biggs from Brazil. Their leader, John Miller, finally delivered the greatest of the great train robbers. Biggs is still in custody on the island of Barbados at the present time. He has a book coming out on his life shortly. Here he is with the Sex Pistols in a scene from the as yet unreleased movie, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. The riff from Holidays in the Sun sounded a lot like the jams in the city, which was released about two months before the Sex Pistols recorded Holidays in the Sun. And you can check them out here. Jams Paul Weller was arrested for rape in the early 2000s, but the charges were dropped. He was also arrested in 2008 in the Czech Republic for being publicly drunk, and again in 97 for smashing up a Paris hotel room. So I can't do an episode without some Beatles, and here's their rap sheet. Paul McCartney and the Beatles' first drummer, Pete Bess, were arrested on suspicion of arson 
in November 1960. And the story goes that they burned a wall while attempting to create a makeshift candle out of an unspecified object while moving out of the living space provided by the club owner when they were playing in Germany, who had just terminated their contract. The duo was deported from Germany the following day. Sounds like a cheap way to get home. John and Yoko were arrested in October 68 for drug possession and fined 150 pounds. George was arrested the day of Paul and Linda's wedding for pot possession with 120 pre-rolled joints and he was fined 250 pounds and 10 guineas, whatever a guinea is. In 1972, Paul was arrested again for pot in Sweden and fined $2,000 and the incident was the inspiration for the band on the run record. In 1973, Paul again for growing some weed plants at his farm in Scotland and Paul's lame excuse was that fans had posted him unknown seeds and he had just simply planted them. He was fined 75 pounds. In 1975, Paul was arrested again for pot in LA. In 1980, Paul was arrested again for pot in Japan. Yes, it's Paul McCartney, who when searched by customs, was found to be carrying a not inconsiderable bag of marijuana buried in his smalls. Suddenly, within minutes, you know, this, this famous celebrity was, had been handcuffed and was being hustled away by uniformed men to endure hours of circular questioning. I mean, he could have been prosecuted, received a sentence, and stayed there for five years quite easily. Macca, or prisoner number 22 as he was now known, looked set to serve his time without even his guitar for company. And then the cavalry arrived, in the shape of Linda and her father, ace lawyer Lee Eastman, who kicked up a stink and made sure everyone knew just who they were dealing with. With the glare of the world's media upon them, the Japanese authorities contrived to let Maka go. January 1984, Paul was arrested again for pot in Barbados and Linda McCartney was arrested the following day when they arrived back in London. Linda McCartney, the wife of pop singer Paul McCartney, was arrested at Heathrow Airport this afternoon and charged with possessing cannabis. She'll appear in court later this month. Paul McCartney and his family had arrived back from Barbados, where he'd been fined £70 for possessing a small amount of cannabis. The millionaire singer, whose record Pipes of Peace today is still top of the pops, told reporters he thought cannabis was less harmful than nicotine and alcohol. Linda McCartney was making light of matters when she arrived, but this was before customs searched her baggage. Paul McCartney came through the Green Channel to talk to reporters. 
At this stage, no one had been arrested. Paul's been in trouble with the law four times over drugs. With his international lifestyle, his latest conviction could create problems in traveling overseas. Do you think it's going to give you a problem getting back into the United States? Where well, I hope home? not. <laughs> I jolly well hope not. <laughs> Who shopped you? Who shopped you? Who shopped you? I have no idea. Just you you I have no idea. Do you have trouble you have getting to cut that from the news? Here? Oh, what's the news? Oh, no, get out of here. Hey, can we get one, please, straight? that whatever you think and whatever you think I've done this I'm telling you this substance cannabis is a whole lot less harmful than rum punch whiskey nicotine and glue, all of which are perfectly legal. What about, your children? what about your children? I would like to see it decriminalized. Because I don't think, in the privacy of my own room, I was doing anyone any harm whatsoever. Well, you, what, did you think they'd send you to drugs? Are you? I don't take drugs. I never Good. have taken drugs. Are you Good. going to? No. Were you worried about being... Never sick? again. Never Were you worried about being... I love you all dearly. The McCartneys then drove to their private plane. But back at the customs hall, their luggage was being examined. They were asked to return, interviewed and searched. Mrs McCartney was charged six hours after their arrival and released on unconditional bail. And I found a few mentions of Ringo being arrested in Texas in either 1995 or 2005, depending on the articles, for refusing to pay a restaurant bill after being served alcohol instead of the fruit juice he had ordered with his meal as he was sober since 1988. And I don't know if this is a true story or not, as the two accounts I could find are way different and on shitty kind of gossip type websites. But if you are a Ringo fan, check out bonus episode number five on the website for my deep dig on the great man. And here's Ringo talking about who got the Beatles into pot. Can I ask you a, uh, I, I know you've answered a million Beatle questions all the time, but I have to ask you, there's one story that I've never thought, I've always wondered, is this true or is this just one of those things that was made up? But there's a famous story that Bob Dylan introduced you guys to pot for the first time. He you had never tried it before, and that's the story. And I thought, is that true? No, it is true. But it he, is true. he didn't actually give us it. He was in the room. <laughs> so was... he was not the supplier? No. <laughs> yeah. Bob Dylan's your dealer. Yeah. <laughs> now, Bob was in the room in the hotel when uh, it was was arranged that uh, someone else would bring some stuff. And someone who will not be We named. got high yeah. and we laughed our asses off. Do you, now this was, so the, 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 the four of you tried it for the first time, who was the one that went first or did you all? I went first. How was that? How did you, you know, how did you, how did you, how was that decided? The drummers always go first. Yeah. <laughs> Last, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> More than his share. How was it decided that you would go first? Well, you, just you, how it was. You were the you know, adventurous one. We didn't one. draw lots. Just, <laughs> it was know, a very it was like okay, let's go. And you know, we had a, a suite, we had a living room, yeah. and in the bedroom was where it was happening. Those yeah, days, yeah. Was, you know, it was against the law then. Not like now. It's okay. And here's a story about Axel Rose being arrested. But first, Axel Rose appeared in court in Missouri this week to plead guilty to four charges of assault and criminal damage stemming from a concert riot in St. Louis a year ago. His trial date was set for October the 13th. The 30-year-old Guns N' Roses frontman, who was arrested in New York last weekend and released on $100,000 bail, arrived wearing a pink Versace suit. The warrant for his arrest was issued by the St. Louis prosecutor following the riot last July, in which 40 people were injured. 
MTV News was also present when Rose arrived, handcuffed at the New York court where his bail was set. After the hearing, MTV's Kurt Loder hitched a ride in Axel's limousine and spoke to the singer as he rode back to his Manhattan hotel. The prosecutor reneged on a promise he made. I'm, I'm going there uh, on the 15th, and he said this wouldn't happen any life. You'll be out soon? I think so. Rose had been arrested on an outstanding warrant issued months ago by a prosecutor in St. Louis named McCulloch, who had been trying for nearly a year to get Rose to return to that city to answer to four misdemeanor assault charges and one misdemeanor property damage charge stemming from a riot at a Guns N' Roses concert in St. Louis last July. After three and a half hours at the Queen's Courthouse, Rose was released on $100,000 bail and an agreement that he would finally fly back to St. Louis this week, as he'd already planned to do. He jumped into a limo with him for an exclusive interview on the way back to his hotel in Manhattan and asked him how he'd been treated in jail. What do they do when they put you in jail? Did you have a cell by yourself, or were there other people? Did you get to talk to any other like, inmates or anything? No, I, I basically spent my time writing autographs for cops and talking with them about rock and roll. I met all these really cool cops that were telling me all about when they went to Woodstock and everything. It was great. <laughs> New York cops are the best. <laughs> question in many observers' minds, of course, was why Rose didn't just return to St. Louis to plead his case months ago. According to Rose, it's taken this long to work out an ironclad deal, which, as things stand now, means a sentence of two years probation reduced to one year. We've just been waiting till, like, to get the, the case somewhat solidified and in writing before we go, because I don't want to go there and get set up. You know, well, you come here, it's going to be like this, and then it's, it's a whole different story, and, and you end up sitting in St. Louis for a long time. What does probation mean? You can't do it, come back to St. Louis and do something bad, or you can't do something bad anywhere in the country? It's like anywhere. It's, it's anywhere, but I'm not really worried about any of that because I really don't spend my time breaking the law, so I'm not really worried about that. It just depends on, you know, if you play someplace where somebody doesn't like rock and roll or Guns N' Roses, they could say I did something, you know. You never know what will happen with that. And what exactly happened at that St. Louis concert one year ago? Did Rose provoke a riot, or was he simply reacting to a collapse in concert security? Here's what he told us. We have a tape of one guy on stage with a knife, and uh, we lost a million dollars worth of equipment in that, in that show. And I don't see anybody else taking any responsibility for anything. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I jumped off stage, and yeah, things went haywire after that. And I, maybe I could have handled it better or whatever, but no one was really handling anything at that point. So I took it into my own hands with what I could do and what crossed my mind that time because I've been pretty much pushed to the limit by their lack of security. Um, but I don't see anybody else in St. Louis really taking any uh, responsibility for anything that happened. Well, thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. Axel was also arrested over 20 times as a youth in Indiana, and when authorities threatened to charge him as a habitual criminal, he moved to LA in December 1982.
Jim Morrison was famously arrested, and here's Ray from The Doors telling the story. Jim starts to tell the story about, he said, let me tell you what just happened to me downstairs. And, you know, he tells the whole story about being maced. And their, their motto is protect and serve. And one by one, they start to turn. And then Morrison saying, a little blue man in a little blue hat, a little blue pig. Oh, that got him, man. Boom, out comes Captain Kelly and says, stop the show, stop everything. You're under arrest, young man. You've gone too far and they pulled him away, arrested right on stage. Jim Morrison was also arrested in 63 for disturbing the peace, 66 for sexual assault for kissing a 14-year-old girl on an acid trip, 68 for public drunkenness, 69 for public profanity for simulated masturbation during a gig, and lastly for public drunkenness in 1970 for falling asleep on someone's front porch after a boozy evening. John Densmore from The Doors was also arrested in 2001 for the rock and roll crime of logging protesting. And we covered Tim Comerford from Rage Against Machine's arrest in episode 21's bass intros. Rage Against the Machine bassist Tim Comerford was arrested after he disrupted the show by climbing part of the set. My reasons were my personal reasons, totally personal politics. Tim C. spent one night in jail, pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct, and was released on time served. Bullet in the Head was Rage Against the Machine's second single and was the second song they were meant to play on Saturday Night Live in 1996 before they were booted off the show. We heard this story in a previous episode, but I actually can't remember which episode it was, but I'm sure it was a fucking great episode. So let's have a listen to the demo for Bullet in the Head, which sounds almost identical to the album track. Today, pop singer Rick James is being accused of all kinds of terrible things, and authorities are taking it very seriously. Rick Kirkham with the latest from Los Angeles. She's a very James is considered the king of funk, a Motown writer and producer in the 1960s who eventually took his own music to the top of the charts with hits like his 1981 song, Super Freak. She's a super freak, super freak, she's super freaky. 
distinctive style is still officially borrowed by such current superstars as MC Hammer. Can't touch this. But today, even those who emulate him can't help Rick James out of the jam he's currently facing. James is accused of assault with a deadly weapon, aggravated mayhem, torture, and forcible oral copulation. The singer has been in jail since last Friday, along with his girlfriend, Tanya Ann Hajazi, both arrested two weeks after an unidentified woman went to authorities with her story. According to police, the 25-year-old alleged victim claims she met Rick James and his female companion at a party. She says the trio then returned here to James' Hollywood home. It was on the nights of July 16th and 17th that that alleged victim claimed she became a virtual prisoner here, held at gunpoint, even tied up and tortured, she claims, by being burnt with the hot end of a crack cocaine pipe. Rick James has admitted to a drug problem back in the 1970s, a problem that was hard to kick. That was a... Uh off in the drugs then at that time, seriously. And um, it was like a time in my life when things were happening real fast and I didn't quite have a serious grip on, you know, th you know on things. And though he still has his vices, James has publicly acknowledged where his priorities now lie. Do I love sex? Yes, abundantly. Do I love women? Yes, totally. Do I, do I love the fact that I have lots of money and, have, uh, and I'm rich and famous? And yes, that's real great. But that means nothing compared to what I'm about in here. From the moment he was arrested, the 43-year-old singer has adamantly denied he or his 21-year-old girlfriend ever assaulted the alleged victim in any way. His attorney says proving the story is false will be the easy part. It's getting James out of jail on bail that's proved frustrating. The king of funk is being held on a king's ransom of $1 million bail. It's a celebrity bail. By celebrity bail, it used to be that if you were a celebrity, you got out on your OR or you got special favors. Now the system, the pendulum has swung, and if you're a celebrity like Rick James, you get bashed. The injuries sustained were of sufficient nature to allege great intentional infliction of great bodily injury. She apparently is a publicity-seeking, money-hungry litigant. The request for a reduction in Rick James and Tanya Hajazi's bail was denied, and leaving the courtroom, Hajazi's parents were furious. Oh, so you believe your daughter's guilty? We know she's innocent. She's innocent. The brother of Rick James has flown into Los Angeles from Buffalo, New York. An attorney himself, Roy Johnson, wouldn't say whether he plans to take part in his music star brother's defense. Both defense attorneys in the case have requested a postponement of the arraignment until this Friday. They say they simply need more time to investigate the claims against Rick James and his companion. That request has been granted. However, the attorney's request for a lowering of both bail amounts has been denied. So it looks like for the next few days, the only music Rick James will be singing are the Jailhouse Blues. And James is expected to plea not guilty on Friday. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs>
Steve Earle was arrested in 1993 for heroin possession and again in 1994 for cocaine and weapon charges. And here's Steve talking about his kids, drugs and guns. This is one of the most heartbreaking things for me is my two, my oldest and my middle son, Justin and Ian, would not, you know, Justin up until would have never known what a crack pipe looked like if he and Ian hadn't gotten together trying to throw all my pipes out at one point. And pipes and syringes and, and a whole drawer full of drug paraphernalia that they decided if they threw all that stuff out that I wouldn't get high anymore. Yeah. And they're, you know, that's only, only kids can think that way. And, and uh, you know, I, have, I, I live with all that for the rest of my life. Um, you were a, a gun guy for a long time. Has your position changed? It has, right? Oh, it changed a long time yeah, ago. Yeah. It changed when Justin was 14. He moved into my house, and he, um, he like, uh, I had a pistol under my bed loaded, and he found it within a week after moving back into my house. And a 9mm pistol, full clip, and he hit it, and he would not tell me where it was. And I didn't know what to do. And um, I knew he was lying. I, I still know when he's lying. And uh, <laughs> I just... I searched the place, couldn't find it, so I finally, um, I had my brother come over, we strip searched him, yeah. drove him out to a wilderness camp, they call it, this place where people send their kids when they can't control them anymore, and they're, I'm pretty sure they're hiring them out for slave labor to the state parks department, but <laughs> not proud of it, you know, but it was, I didn't know what else to do, and I, and I dropped him off and wrote him a check, and then about 4.30 the next morning, it was January, and it got pretty cold, and they're out there sleeping in the tents, and Justin called me and told me where the gun was, and... <laughs> Was I haven't had a gun in my house ever since. It was behind the shower. He'd, he'd like actually knocked a hole in the wall down low and put it behind the shower shell in his bathroom, and I just didn't see the hole. Shot 
not a sample and it's not a bagpipe it's a it's a custom built analog synth patch that my keyboard player Kenny Moore built from scratch and uh, I wanted bagpipes because it sounded lonesome and I always from the time that I wrote the song just on mandolin the first song I ever played on mandolin too I knew two chords on mandolin when we recorded this and um, I'd gotten a hold of a mandolin a friend of mine gave me um, trying to learn how to play it, and I learned how to play that, and that was it. And the story had been around for a while. I'd been like, uh, I got to Tennessee in 1974, and sometime in 75, I'm working at a pizza parlor in Nashville, and there was a news story about a woman that had been arrested in Elizabethton, North Carolina. And, you know, the Vietnam War is just ending, and. Um, they arrested this 76, 77-year-old woman in Elizabethton, North Carolina, with this big, huge plantation of pot in the holler in the mountains. And they asked her where she got going, you know, got the idea to do that. And so her sons had both come back from Vietnam with big sacks of seeds. And they'd been a moonshining family for a long time. And they'd done this other prohibited substance that they could, that they could market. And um, they knew how that worked. The idea that that stuff that was illegal was worth more money than legal goods were. And I don't know, this record was, um, I'd make Guitar Town and Exit Zero, and it become obvious to me that country radio wasn't gonna keep playing the things. Uh, my first record did pretty well. Spotty at country radio in the States, kind of every other single that was released did well. And then by Exit Zero, I was sort of, the second album I was sort of ignored. So <clears throat> I went to London, I was producing a record there and I crashed a cocktail party where Irving Azoff, who ran MCA Records at the time, um, and uh, David Simone, who was getting ready to start running, heading up an imprint called Uni Records, and I'd heard about it, um, were having a party to launch the label. And I walked up and said, I wanted to be on Uni. And they said, well, uni's not about country. And Irving was kind of smiling as he said, he said, uni's not gonna be about country. It's gonna be about uh, hip hop and, and rock and roll. And I said, I'll, then I'll make a rock and roll record. And, you know, it's still pretty country, but it's, uh, I went to Memphis to make it because I kind of had to. Um, Jimmy Bowen, who ran the Nashville division, and Irving Azoff hated each other, and 
I don't think. I think um, Irving protected me as much to irritate Bowen as it was actually liking me. But it did give me the. I was able to go go to Memphis and make this record the way that I wanted to. Um, I still play the song pretty much every night because I want to get out of there alive. And um, you know, it's like a, somebody asked me if I got sick of it, and he said, "You don't get sick of songs that sort of uh, give you a way to make a living at something that you do that you love." A legend in the music business faces the possibility of life behind bars this morning. CBS News correspondent Bill Whitaker reports on the conviction of rock music producer Phil Spector. He walked into court dressed to the nines, as he always had over the course of his two murder trials. This time, Phil Spector wouldn't walk back out. Guilty of the crime of second-degree murder of Lana Clarkson. Spector showed no emotion as he was found guilty of second-degree murder in the death of Lana Clarkson, a sometime actress and restaurant hostess whom Spector had just met on the night of February 3rd, 2003. She died of a gunshot wound to the mouth, and drawers heard from several other women who testified that Spector had threatened them with guns as well. And it could have happened years earlier with any of the other women, but she got the bullet. Spector escaped conviction in his first trial with a hung jury. This time, jurors came to a verdict, but it was tough. We reviewed everything and could not have been more painful in our decision. Before Michael Jackson, before the Beatles, Phil Spector was the king of pop music in the early 60s, the inventor of the so-called wall of sound. Now he's in jail facing a minimum of 18 years in prison. Bill Whitaker, CBS News, Los Angeles. Joining us now is CBS News legal analyst Lisa Bloom, who not only followed the Spectre case, but also testified for the prosecution during the retrial. And why did you do that? Good morning. There was a defense witness who changed his story from trial one to trial two. He had uh, been on my show and given an interview, and that tape was played for the jury, and I was called to corroborate it. What's your reaction to this verdict? Uh, it was a long time coming. I think the case was clearly there beyond a reasonable doubt, Harry. There were five women who testified in the trial that they had gone out with Phil Spector over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. He got drunk, brought them home or to his hotel. They rebuffed his sexual advances and he pulled a gun on them. Wow. So the prosecution was able to say he played Russian roulette with women's lives. The first five got the empty chamber. Lana Clarkson got the bullet. Wow. How, how long will he, well, the sentencing doesn't happen until May 29th. 18 years minimum. He could get life. He's 69 years old. Effectively, this is going to be a life sentence. All right, Lisa, thanks so much. And he's old Phil trying to weasel out of it. Uh, the actions of the Hitler-like district attorney and his stormtrooping henchmen to seek an indictment against me and censor all means of me getting my evidence and the truth out are reprehensible, unconscionable, and despicable. They have conspired to deny me my California constitutional right to a preliminary hearing. My fingerprints were not on the gun and that Dr. Henry Lee found no crime scene in my home on the morning of February 3rd, 2003, and that the gun the deceased used to kill herself was not owned by me nor registered to me. Ask yourself why, and you'll see why I am not getting a preliminary hearing. I urge a fellow artist, Governor Schwarzenegger, to step in and grant me my California constitutional rights and stop this miscarriage of justice and obstruction of justice.
to the jury in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Philip Spector, guilty of the crime of second degree murder of Lana Clarkson in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony, as charged, as charged in count one of the indictment. Again, thank you for your service. You are now excused, but I want all the jurors and alternates to go back into the jury room. We will have the jury commissioner and the public information officer meet with you. Phil Spector, who produced the Beatles' Get Back album, died in prison in January 21, and he was ultimately sentenced to 19 in life. Another semi-Beatle-related arrest happened in 1991 when Keys player Billy Preston, who played with the Stones and the Beatles, was arrested for cocaine and sexual assault charges when he was smoking crack with a 16-year-old boy who was working at his home. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. (laughs) He received nine months at a drug rehab centre and three months of house arrest. He also did 30 days in jail in 1992 for drink driving and 90 days in jail in 97 for coke possession. Again in 1998 for insurance fraud. And here's Billy's great work on Get Back. friends is why Adelaide should still be in lockdown. Ozzy Osbourne was arrested in May 1984 in Memphis when he staggered around drunk and he was released after sobering up about five hours later. Ozzy was also arrested for urinating on a monument to fallen soldiers at the Alamo in Texas in 1982. New at six, Ozzy Osbourne back in San Antonio, but not for a concert. The Prince of Darkness is apologizing again for urinating on the Alamo Centitaph. Back in 1982, it happened. The apology is all part of a show for the History Channel that he and his son Jack are filming. Huge crowds showed up to try to get a glimpse of the heavy metal legend as he made his way to the Alamo. Osborne was banned from performing in the Alamo City after this incident. He was allowed back in in 1992 after an apology and a donation of $10,000 to the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. Singer Ozzy Osbourne thinks it's fun to defile public shrines. He says his greatest ambition is to turn the steps of the White House into a public restroom. So I find this old wall and I've got this green evening dress on. I'm standing there having a leak. And this guy goes mental. 
office deputy marshal or whatever. And I was, there he is. And I was dressed in a morning of my wife's evening, green evening. And she's urinating up the f- Alamo. Ozzy also spent some time in prison in 1965 for stealing. He was arrested again in 1989 for trying to kill his wife in a drug stupor. And he had another public intoxication charge in Memphis. was arrested at age 16 for stealing tyres and was sent to jail. And on hearing Elvis's It's Now or Never, he vowed never to be a bad boy again. But on his release in 1960, he was arrested for attempted murder. But when the victim came out of his coma, he provided the police with the info to get old Baz off the hook. You were not a good kid, were you? I was all right. I, uh... No, 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 no. Play it, play it straight. I, I, I was a little playful. I was a little playful. No, no, don't gloss over it. You got into a lot of trouble at one point, or your friends did. You hung around with a bad crowd. That's true. That's very true. What straightened you out? The bad crowd, I guess. When I turned 17, I looked around me, and everywhere I looked, it was depression. People who were just going around in circles. I just felt that it was a better way of life i had to make a change or go down and here's a song we heard way back in episode seven's cowbells from hell barry white can't get enough of your love it's just not enough it's just not enough Change. Huh. Something 
Chuck Berry was arrested in 1944, aged just 18 for armed robbery and stealing a car at gunpoint, and he was released from prison on his 21st birthday. He was also arrested in December 1959 and charged with having sex with a 14-year-old girl whom he transported across state lines to work at his club. He served 18 months in prison, and he was also arrested in 1990 for pot possession, as was Carlos Santana in 1991, crossing the Mexican border, returning to the U.S., Darcy from the Smashing Pumpkins was arrested in 2011 and sentenced to six days in jail for failing to attend four court dates relating to a charge of failing to control her horses. She likes horses, much, much more. She likes unicorns, but she calls them horny horses. Peter Buck of REM was arrested in 2001 on a British Airways flight from Seattle to London after reportedly having 15 refills of wine. Then he ransacked the cabin looking for more booze. 
as well as trying to hide cutlery up his sleeve, he also attempted to insert a CD in a trolley thinking it was a CD player and fought with plain stuff over a yogurt. He was arrested but not charged with anything. The Stone Roses frontman, Ian Brown, was arrested in February 1998 after a flight to London from Paris after a gig. He was accused of threatening to chop off a flight attendant's hands and was also caught banging on the door of the cockpit. Brown denied all the charges, but the judge sentenced him to four months in prison, which he served too. Amy Winehouse had a bunch of arrests, and one of the more unusual cases was in 2009, where she was arrested after consistently heckling her performance at Cinderella at the Milton Keynes Theatre. She then attacked a member of staff who tried to remove her, and she was arrested for assault. The celebrity merry-go-round of stars feeling the long arm of the law continues. Just a day after Pete Doherty was released from prison, Amy Winehouse has found herself in more hot water. This time, the beehive-loving star has been questioned by police on suspicion of drug offences. The singer's spokespeople confirmed that the 24-year-old was held in East London, although her appointment with police had apparently been arranged earlier. It's in connection with a video filmed by a tabloid from back in January, which appeared to show her smoking crack cocaine. But the Back to Black star is no stranger to the inside of a station. She spent the night in cells in Holborn at the end of April after she was accused of headbutting a man. It puts her in a similar boat to her husband, Blake Fielder Civil. He's currently behind bars awaiting trial in June for alleged assault and claims he tried to pervert the course of justice. The line from Amy's people, meanwhile, is that she's looking forward to getting back in the studio. But as the chart topper's real-life soap takes a dramatic turn and with friends like Mark Ronson admitting she's not ready, fans may have to settle for her private life making the headlines rather than her music. Winehouse was obviously very influenced by Billie Holiday, who also had her troubles with the law. She was arrested and did some prison time in 1947 for narcotic possession in New York. 
and this conviction caused her to lose her New York City cabaret card, which prevented her from performing in any venue that sold alcohol. She had another drug arrest in January 1949. Sadly, she was also arrested on her deathbed in a New York hospital on another drug charge. Southern trees bear strange fruit Blood on the leaves and blood at the root Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze So I'm going to tap out for now and I'll finish up Arrested next week. I'm just a bit edited out with the bonus episode and Charlie Watts squeezing in there in one week. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. Please rate, subscribe and tell a friend if you're digging it. And you can check out the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com and you can say hi on Instagram or Facebook, arockandrollrabbitholepodcast. And hit me up if you want a sticker and guitar pick pack and hopefully I'll catch you next week. See ya. Well, thanks to the landmass security, I'm going home.